Welcome to the Job Speakers Podcast. My name is Rob Hendrickson, and my job is to help people find their working way in the world. We spend a lot of our time uh, at our jobs, and in my view, our jobs aren't separate from our lives. Uh, they are our lives, and that's really one of the reasons uh, I started this podcast and why I find uh, guests whose stories uh, matter and I hope uh, will help all of our listeners out there. Our guest today is no exception. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome, Mary, to Job Speakers. It's, it's good to see you. Great to see you too, Rob. Thanks for having me. Of course. Can you tell our listeners uh, what your job is? I own a personal training studio with my husband, James, in Reston, Virginia. We're called Pfeiffer Fitness. So you guys have a physical location for your fitness services? We do. We have a gym that's actually located in the lower level of our home. And all our clients come by appointment only. And it's set up. We have a small cardio area and a stretching area and then the gym where we actually conduct the workouts. And we can take people one-on-one or as up to many as four at a time. Sometimes uh, fitness uh, trainers will go to their clients' homes. Is that part of your business model, or are you focused really in your, your home gym? It's not anymore. At one time, we did that. You know, when you're starting out and you're trying to get as much business as you can, you try just about all the variety of options. Um, and then you kind of narrow it down to what works best for, for you all. And as you start to get busier, which is ideally what you want to happen, um, you hone in and say, okay, this is the way we're going to operate. For a long time, we were in the gyms um, and doing a little bit in the home, but we didn't have a big facility in the house. It was just like for you know certain clients that we could work with depending on what their needs were. But now, um, after being in the gym for so many years, we realized the way to go is to have your own facility and let everybody come to you. And that works. How long have you and James done this? Pfeiffer Fitness officially with the two of us began in 2004. Um, however, we've both been training individually and on our own for about 27 years. That is a, that's a good run. That's <laughs> now a good I'm run. giving away my age. <laughs> how, how many clients uh, do you serve together? We have roughly continually run about somewhere between 45 and 60 clients, depending on the time of year. We have a lot of clients who travel a lot, either for pleasure because they're retired or with business, but they're always coming and going. They always come back, even if they go away for a while. So, Give me a sense for the demographic you serve in terms of men and women and maybe ages in particular. Well, because of the nature of personal training, I'd say we're 80% female client-based. Um, I think it's because a lot of times men think they can handle the gym on their own. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Not men. But, that would um, never happen. Women are not you know, shy about coming in and saying, look, I don't know what to do. I don't want to figure out what I should do. I want somebody to just teach me and guide me. So majority are women, but we do have quite a few men. Age-wise, probably the median age is, I would say, mid-40s to early 50s. 
but our oldest client is mid-80s and our youngest is 18. When, when you're in your busy season, I know now with, with the pandemic, it's sort of an, an anomaly, but when you're rolling along and, and busy, um, how many hours a week uh, do you work, Mary? We easily put in about 50 hours a week, every week, keeping it Monday to Friday. We now don't work on the weekends other than to teach our tennis on Saturday mornings. We also are both tennis instructors and um, we cater to a lot of, as you know, how we met a lot of the rest and tennis clientele and uh, for their strength training. So, so that, that's a perfect segue. In fact, I was going to ask the next question related to tennis. So of course I still play and I know a number of tennis coaches. And some years ago, I ran a, um, a charity event where I had them play against prodigies, and they sort of uh, bashfully admitted that they really weren't in the same kind of shape, tennis playing shape, they used to be because all they do is. So, my question to you is this As a trainer, a fitness you know, trainer, is it the same with you where everyone else is getting really fit, but you're not putting the time in maybe you used to? No, we find that we have to put the time in. Um, for one thing, because we're so hung up on <laughs> when, when that client comes in and you tell them what you want them to do. And then they go, will you show me nothing looks worse than when you go to do a burpee and you have to go, well, you know, I'm a little stiff today. <laughs> you got to be able to jump in and do at least two of those burpees and look like you're hundred percent into it. So, um, James and I work hard at trying to stay fit. And it, of course, it gets harder, as you know, as we get older. And that's not saying that we can keep up with some of our youngest, you know, ones. But we try to set a good example and try to show them that fitness is something you can do from an early age all the way into your senior years to be healthy and functional in your daily life. How much of what you do is is pure fitness and how much of it is making a connection to your clients you have to be knowledgeable in your field and you have to be i think safe there's a lot of young trainers out there who can't tell you the number of people that have come to us and say well you know i had a personal trainer but this is what happened um so I believe your expertise and your knowledge base has to, and your training has to be there. However, to keep your client long-term, to make it fun for the client coming in that absolutely hates to work out, and there's a lot of those, um, it has to be a personality click too. And you have to be able to present it and deliver it in a way that they go, well, gosh, I may hate what I'm doing, but I just love coming and seeing you guys. <laughs> And so that's what we strive for. In my work, I sometimes talk about forming new habits, and I know that's your business too. And I don't know where I got this statistic, but I read somewhere that it takes an average person doing something for 66 straight days before discipline becomes habit, right? So that it's no longer dragging yourself. It's more a way of life. Does that feel right to you or what, what, what is it? You know, I agree with you on that. I think that feels pretty right. I, I couldn't quote a statistic myself, but that sounds right to me. And I will say that even on certain um, levels of 
discipline, maybe it's regarding nutrition and intake, it's probably even longer than that for some people. And for some people, it just never happens. Um, they give it their all. And because of other factors in their lives, you know, other influences, um, those habits are just hard to break. So you do the best to kind of work around it and encourage the positives. And even if they're not going to become the best eater, you know, their diet's always going to stink. <laughs> they may not lose that 15 pounds that they came in saying they wanted to. Um, you, you try to encourage them in other ways, that, that, the positive things that they're accomplishing and go that way because it, it is hard to change. It is. And it's really hard to make the change permanent, which again is sort of overlaps with what I do in my business role. When you think and it's that, amazing, go ahead. it's amazing how many people don't like fitness. There's a lot of them out there. That's why they come to a trainer, I think, because I think that's going to somehow as if we follow them around all day on their shoulder or something <laughs> like an well, angel. <laughs> well, that was, that was one of my questions too. So how, how much of what you do is sort of being that accountable friend in a way um, mm -hmm. to your clients so that they don't want to disappoint you and how much of it is you give them the skills and they just seem to run with it. What do you find in your clientele? Um, with our I find that with our clientele, they are looking for a lot of that hand-holding and encouragement. So aside from that half-hour appointment that we spend with them multiple times a week in our gym, um, they get a lot of texting, a lot of impromptu texting when they least expect it because what they don't realize is maybe in conversation during their workout, they mentioned they were going oh, to a crab feast or to a concert or out with their friends to happy hour. So not, not being obnoxious to them, but at that impromptu time, that little text comes in and says, hope you're having a great time. Are you drinking water after every beer you have? <laughs> <laughs> That's like awesome. That. Things they hate. I mean, I'm sure they hate it, but they always come back and say, you know, that was a good reminder. Thanks. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. I don't know that I'll sign you up because I don't know about that text, but I, I understand. Well, what, what we always tell them is that, you look, if you're going on vacation, you're going to a party, you have a fun night out with your friends or family, that's your night out. Have what you want to have. And then get back in focus the next day. Do your workout. Drink your water. Because you can't live your life. I always saying, denying yourself, I can't have that. I can't have that. You'll be miserable. You have served countless clients. You've been in business for a very long time. Are there any stories um, about your clients of which you're particularly proud? Maybe something that just kind of warms your heart because it because of the story and how it turned out? Well, I'd say there's two stories that really stand out for me in my career. Um, one was a young man that I first met when he was nine years old. And he was the only little boy in a junior tennis class that I taught. It was like a fitness and tennis for kids. They didn't know how to play tennis but they were gonna do some fitness stuff outside related and learn their basic strokes. And he was nine, but the rest of the girls were 12, which they loved. 
they just thought he was, it was so good having this little guy in their class. And of course he was shy and intimidated by all these young girls who didn't stop talking. That was the first time I met Khalil. And fortunately, I was able to follow him growing and maturing through his high school years. He became quite a soccer player. He didn't stick with tennis, but he became a soccer player and actually the kicker on the local high school football team. And his parents decided that they wanted him to be able to play soccer in college if that's what he wanted to do. So he started training. And seeing this kid from being a scrawny little guy to the 19, now he's almost 20 year old man who still comes in every time he's home on break. Um, and he's, he's actually turned into quite the athlete. He's playing as a starter, as a freshman at Virginia Tech in, on the soccer team and continues to play. He also um, plays in like the travel soccer leagues and all those as an adult. Um, so now he's an athlete, so there he was gifted. That's a very fun person to work with as a trainer. It makes our job easy because pretty much they can do what you put out there. They want to do it. They're hungry for it. Um, so there's a lot of reward in seeing that just because of how he came up and I've known him for so long. So there's that side of it. And then there's the side of it where you have the client who has MS and the symptoms are starting to get more serious and they're young, you know, they're only in their forties. They've got kids and they're scared. And to see that person come in and literally start out doing everything seated, even though we were doing lower and upper body, they were always in a, in a chair, you know, because their balance was awful. They're, um, motor skills, you know, just didn't work like they wanted. Their brain would do one thing, their body would do another. And to see that person progress and be able to join in a very short time, it was probably only about nine months, maybe almost a year, and participate in one of our, we have boxing classes. And she was able to join in a boxing class. And she had modifications. Um, you know, she wasn't doing jumping jacks like they were, but she was doing them low impact and she was hitting the heavy bag, standing up, hitting the speed bag. And to just see how the confidence that she gained and how good she felt about herself. And it was also helping her, her health. I mean, she was fighting, you know, her disease that was, she felt was so quickly overtaking her. So there's two extremes there of people that you get exposed to sometimes if you're willing to take on the challenge, you know, of working with them. And um, it really makes the job fulfilling and rewarding to me. I mean, cause I just love, I love seeing that person that now can do something they never thought they could do. I love to see their face. Good for you uh, for doing that. That's, um that gets you right, right in the heart. You know, that's really, really yeah. Mary, what's the hardest part of your job? The early mornings. <laughs> and oh my gosh. <laughs> what, what time, what do you, when you say early mornings, what, what, what time are you rolling out of bed? I roll out of bed at five o'clock, which I know for a lot of people, they go, that's not that early. But at 5.45, the door opens and that first morning client comes in. And face it, if you're a morning client, you're a morning person. 
<laughs> you're ready to go. So as a trainer, you also have to be a morning person, even when maybe you're not. And I am not. I'll admit that. Um, so it, that to me is, you know, if I could work oh, nine to five, I'd be happy. <laughs> but that's not when the client necessarily needs to come in. So that's probably on a, a funnier note. Um, for me, one of the challenges of the job. <laughs> what is, so that's the hardest part. What is the easiest part of your job? I think the easiest part is putting together the workouts. I guess, I don't know if it comes from, I always had an interest and a background in dance in college, but we were always creating and choreographing. And I took that right into the personal training of being able to, our, we want our clients to feel like they're not doing the same thing all the time. So every time they come in, they've got a different program, a different structure, you know, whether it's on the timer, whether it's doing reps, high rep, low rep, they're always doing something different. And to me, the funnest part is writing, sitting and writing and designing those programs that we test ourselves and then we put them through. That's the fun part. You mentioned something earlier about men versus women, and, and this is a, a selfish question for me. So when I was young, in my late teens and 20s, I was a workout fiend. You know, I was the guy who pounded <laughs> nails with dad all day, came home, hit the free weights, got on the bike, always went to failure, and that was a really great thing except now as a 51 year old i still feel like i should be at that pace and i hold myself to that standard is that a common problem with maybe some of your clients or is it just my own personal issue no that that's very common and you know there's a lot of people out there and they can they can maintain that standard. I mean, I'm really amazed at how many um, men that were athletes, or not even if not even maybe a college athlete, but an active um, young man, I'll say, you know, always biking or playing on a an intramural team, you know, a athletic. And now they got married. They may slow down for a few years, but then they're like, I got to get back to it and they strive and they really, they get there. They're still, you know, they're performing better than some guys that come walking in that are in their thirties and out of shape. So I think I wouldn't see it as that you have a problem. I think that's a great thing to strive for um, because your body, yes, our bodies all age, but depending on how take, you take care of your body, like they say, your body's your temple, um, your body doesn't have to be biologically 51 years old, I believe. If you've eaten well and you have good health, you try to keep your health good, um, you stay in shape, I think a 51-year-old can compete and perform as well. You know, a lot of the clients that come in, they go, they're young. That's why they're not breathing hard. Well, no, they do their cardio, do you? <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So I believe you can strive and maintain high goals. You don't have to lose it just because you're putting another um, year of age on your life. Well, thanks. That gives me hope. Yeah. <laughs> and I, think, I think I'm in that category. Uh, <laughs> I certainly uh, try to be. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you a few true or false questions. Okay. 
Some will be serious and some will be silly, but they tend towards the silly. So I'm going to jump in. You ready? Ready. Okay. People can be really fit, but not look it. True. There is such a thing as muscle memory. True. Mary, you have had Kraft macaroni and cheese in the past three months. False. Fitness is a marathon, not a sprint. True. And last, body image issues get in the way of achieving fitness goals. Very true. Can you tell me more about the very true on that last item, please? A lot of people, well, many people stay away from the gym because of their body image. That might have started from when they were really young, being teased as the fat kid or, you know, the kid that never got picked. When you pick teams, you're the last one to get selected. There's a lot of mental part that goes into the fitness that stays with you. So now as an adult, you're coming into the gym and you can also put it um, male to female. Um, there's a lot of women who walk into a gym and they are, they'll do an aerobic class and they'll get on the cardio machines, but they will not walk over to that heavy lifting side of the gym where the guys are lifting the, you know, squat racks and the barbell chest press. And it all has to do with kind of their own self-esteem and how they feel about themselves and how much they know about what they should do to get in shape. I feel that's what makes me happy when, for instance, the person with MS can also be the person that's maybe overweight and struggles to be, to look that perfect, you know, way they think they're supposed to look that you see in a magazine or you see on a you know, now we see the commercials where they're advertising um, exercise equipment, you know, and buy this to get in shape. And they've got the buffest looking person riding the Peloton bike, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, man, if I buy that, will I look like that? Um, I think it, 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 it works in an encouraging way sometimes for some people. And then for other people, they look at that and they go, well, I'm never going to look like that. And I surely am not going to go parade in the gym where people are going to look at me. Um, so in some ways that works to an advantage to a train, especially a trainer like myself that has my own studio. A lot of people that come to us say, I love coming here because it's private. It's all about me. And I don't have to mess with, who's next to me and worry about it. And I think for some of them, they're saying that because they're not comfortable maybe standing next to that really thin woman, you know, and they're not so thin themselves. So the point I think you have, you have to do is get the person feeling comfortable, find that little niche, connect with them personality wise and say, look, this is all about what you want to do and make it fun so that they forget about all that stuff that they've been carrying around in their head that's been holding them back. And it probably holds them back more than just in their fitness. It probably holds them back in life's challenges too, that they won't step out and do something because they have a bad, you know, feeling about how they look or how they're going to sound or what people are going to think. So if we can 
break through that wall, um, that's where I think the trainer part of it gets into being even more than just a physical helping them with their physical health, but also with their mental, you know, health and their positive feeling about themselves. Understood. And I'm glad you took some time on that because I think both men and women, but maybe more women, I may be wrong. I see so much self criticism and, and judgment and, and there are so many wonderful people out there who really do live fairly fit lives and you know maybe their their bodies aren't what they they see on television but i mean for what it's worth that's just an average 51 51 year old guy i'd say keep doing what you're doing and don't worry about it because you're amazing you know uh, right exactly um here here's here's another question so you mentioned peloton and it seems like you know i can't i don't know what the fitness industry the size of it monetarily is but it's probably in the billions right. and i mean fitness clothes and gear and equipment, but also diets and food programs. And I, I could have asked this as a true or false, but in your opinion, is, are the basics always the basics and this is a lot of noise or do we really have that new protein powder that really is a step up or do we really have that new exercise bike that is a step up? Can you say just a few words about that? Because I think the average consumer just sees this coming at them from all angles every year, year, year after year. I believe it's the basics. Um, I, it's calories in, calories out as far as your weight goes. I know you can read a lot of studies that say if you're going to work out, you need to put this in your body before you work out. You need to put this in your body after you work out. Sure, you can tweak yourself like that with your um, intake and the nutrition to maybe get more peak performance for people that notice that. I mean, again, that's getting into an athletic level. Um, it's not maybe not just the person going to the gym for 35, 40 minutes before work. That's, you know, the athlete that's training and playing, you know, matches. Um, but bottom line is it's good nutrition. Good, clean nutrition is eating fresh lean protein, fresh vegetables, um, and fruits, not depriving your body, you know, of any one nutrient, but keeping a healthy balance. And as long as you're burning more than you're putting in, you'll maintain your healthy weight. Um, that's pretty simple. It's not complicated. And the diet industry and the food industry has really, I think, not helped a lot of people um, with all these quick fixes. And sure, these diets work, but when they take your, your intake down to 800 to 900 calories a day, you're going to lose weight, but are you going to sustain that for the rest of your life? Are you going to buy their packaged food? Most likely not. Um, so that's what upsets me as far as the food side of it goes. As far as the exercise part of it, you know, you, you don't need a lot of equipment when you think about it. If you can become very fit doing body weight exercise, you've got a good jump on going into the gym. I had a young man come in not too long ago, and he was a, ski, a snow ski instructor, and he didn't have any dumbbells. He didn't have anything. He did everything with his own body weight. He taught him to buy a pull-up bar. 
He taught himself to do pull-ups. He does push-ups. Um, he was lunging. He was squatting. And he came in at a, and his, and, you know, walking and running or, you know, he did mountain climbing too. But he came in at a very high fitness level for someone who never touched a, a barbell or a dumbbell. And, you know, that's impressive, you know, in itself. Now, he wanted to put more muscle mass on and strength, so he did need to buy some equipment, you know, but that's, you know, basic dumbbells. You don't need to go out and buy a fancy, you know, universal piece of equipment that you see in a gym. You can pick up a few cheap things on Craigslist. You know, sometimes you don't even need the weight bench. You can do it by lying on the floor. There's lots of ways, <laughs> you know, to to get yourself fit. And now in coronavirus time, I have my female clients, they're buying the big um, jugs of laundry detergent because you can't buy dumbbells anywhere. You, their dumbbells cannot be found. We were even looking to get some new dumbbells while we're closed for the gym so that we'd have them when we opened up again. You can't get your hands on them. Um, so it's, it's funny the things that they're, you know, using to try to stay in shape. And it works. Yeah, I mean, you only need a couple five-gallon buckets and some water, and you already have a lot of weight, right? <laughs> or, or buy that little backpack and load it up with some dirt. <laughs> if, if someone out there listening is thinking about pursuing a, a career as a personal trainer, what would you tell him or her to make sure they're prepared for what it's really like? Make sure that when you begin the career you don't expect it to be the perfect assortment of clients and it, that it's going to go as planned i think you have to have in your mind in order to be a long-term trainer you have to find a consistency in your own style and work ethic and by consistency i mean being able to maintain that that same push, that same um, how people are going to identify with you when they see you. In the, like, for instance, if you're starting out in a gym, your exposure, you want to put out a consistent pattern that people identify with. For instance, to make that just really simple, you see the young trainer coming in every day that maybe comes in at all different hours whether they have a client or they, you know, don't have a client, um, they're dressed in their workout gear, maybe not looking as professional as they could. Whereas if you told yourself, I don't have a huge client base, but I'm going to go into my workplace where I'm going to train and I'm going to show up there every day by, you know, 6.30, 7 a.m., regardless of whether I have a client or not. And I'm going to be on the floor. And I'm going to be there whether people are working with me or not, saying hello, um, answering a question if they have one, or if I see somebody using a piece of equipment that's wrong, they're using it wrong, not to jump on them, but to say, hey, would you mind if I just show you? Put the seat here because it'll really make the exercise feel better to you and you won't hurt your shoulders. That in the long run, people see. Because people are watching you as a young trainer, you know, in the gym or even as an older one coming in. They want to know, well, what do they know that I don't know? What can I learn? I'm going to watch what they're doing. 
I think it's a, it's a consistency uh, uh, so that people remember, uh, I remember them, they were always there, whether they were working with that client or, you know, they, they recall things. If you decide to be a trainer and stick with it, go through the lows, go through the highs of it, um, that consistency, consistency will pay off in helping your career take off and word of mouth, you know, clientele, they talk. And that's the best way to get a new client is to have another person say, work with them. You can't go wrong. What did you do uh, before getting into the personal uh, fitness training business? Just a summary real quick. I worked in the mortgage business and I started doing my fitness training at night, actually, just because working in the mortgage business, I was a loan officer first, didn't like sales that much, didn't like the pressure of the sale. And this was back in the 80s when real estate was booming. And I moved into the settlement end of it, the de settlement department, the closings. And that was just a, a grind. I mean, oh my gosh, the amount of work that you had to put out, especially at the end of a month. So I found I was sitting at a desk at a computer. I wasn't getting my exercise. And the one day a coworker looked at me and she goes, you know what? This is not good for us. We need to figure something out. And we both went and joined an aerobics class after work. And that's what led me into getting into fitness myself because I went and started doing these classes and the owner of the studio approached me and said, I'll pay to get you certified if you teach for me. Because I think because of my dance background, I had a natural you know, ability for doing the aerobics. So I, I took her up on it. I got certified. So now I was teaching classes and getting my exercise myself. And that led to, well, I was going to go back to graduate school and become a, ther a physical therapist. After looking at the cost and the more, how many more years of schooling after college that was going to be, um, a friend, a mentor in the gym said, why don't you become a certified trainer? And it kind of just took me down that path. I was able to do it in the evening until eventually I, when I finally had 15 clients, I said, I'm quitting my job, <laughs> quitting my day job. And I'm going to pursue this. I think I can do this on my own. That's how the, the change happened. And I was so much happier. Good for you. You know, it's, it's, I hear and listen to a lot of other podcasts and people with, with stories, and it, there's no one answer. Some people do a clean break, and some people do it in their spare time. It sounds like that worked out for you. So I have one last question. Sure. Uh, it ties to, ties to what, you just, what, what you just explained. When you look back over your entire career, if you had to give one piece of career advice uh, for the world to hear, uh, what would that be? follow your heart and make sure you are doing what you love because if you don't it's only going to create unhappiness in your life <laughs> i'd say but if you love what you're doing it's not a job mary thank you this was really great my listeners probably get tired of me saying how much i learned but again i learned a lot and we've known each other for a long time and haven't seen each other for a while. So it was nice to see you. It was great to hear your story. And I know for a fact uh, that anyone even remotely interested in the world of fitness is going to value what you have to say. So thank you. 
Oh, thank you, Rob, for having me on. Thank you, Mary, for being great at what you do and for making this podcast uh, extra special. I realize uh, for our listeners out there, this uh, podcast extended beyond the 30-minute mark, which is my unofficial target. Uh, But I really believe Mary had so many important things to say, and she was so riveting that uh, it justified the extra five minutes or so. Next week, we'll be traveling outside of the U.S. to speak to someone who has many young lives in his hands. Until next time, be good, be safe, be well, and goodbye.